the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. As Mark said, my name's Johnny. Um, I'm a, on the member of the leadership team here at, at Belmont. I'm also a leader of a local school, and it's uh, my privilege to uh, speak this morning on our Come and See series. And um, it's a big moment this morning, if I'm perfectly honest with you. It's, not, it's been a big morning already, hasn't it? It's been brilliant uh, giving thanks for Levi. Uh, it's been sad, but it's been nice. Oh, I don't know how to say that. I say thank, thank you, Nick. I'm not say, it's not nice, sorry. Um, it's been, a, it's been a, a significant moment for us. And we're at a huge moment in our John's Gospel. Uh, I'm nearly there, by the way. A huge moment in John's Gospel as um, we hit John chapter uh, 11 this morning. I'm aware that there are people here, because I've seen you coming in this morning, who I don't think have ever been in this place this, today. Uh, you're really welcome in our church. I want you to know that. Um, if this is the only time you come, I hope it's not, but if it's the only time you come, you're really welcome. But you're welcome back here every week uh, as well. Now, for the last eight months, uh, we have been plowing our way through John's gospel, uh, John's account of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, if you are new here this morning, we talk about Jesus a lot. I've just got to be honest. And we do that because we think that he is the answer to the biggest and most important questions that any human being can have in their life. As a church, this is what we're about. We exist to share the story and to live the life. We exist to tell people about Jesus and to live like him. And the Bible helps us understand it, so we look at it each week. And John's Gospel is one of 66 books in the Bible. And the beauty of John's Gospel, as we've seen, is that it has a really explicit purpose to it. So John, who writes this right at the end, gives us this verse that tells us why he wrote it, which is really useful. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, what's so significant about this morning? We're halfway through. Woohoo! Oh, well, uh, I see probably some of you going like, halfway? <laughs> we've been going at this for eight months. No, well, mathematically, we're not halfway through. Um, what we've seen so far is, about, is, is roughly about three years of Jesus' life, and the next bit is going to go very quickly in about three weeks. Um, but it does kind of split down into two, and this is the hinge point this morning for us in John's Gospel. You see, John 1 to 11 is all about Jesus' life. And John 12 onwards focuses on his death, and we will hurtle towards it at breakneck speed, because we're finishing this series by the end of the summer. And uh, whether you've known it or not, we're building to kind of this moment, this hinge moment in John's gospel. Now, so far, uh, that's why I brought up all the props, so we've been, so far, we've seen that Jesus has met a whole load of people. If you've been with us or you haven't, you can catch up online. Jesus has spent a number of one-to-one individual encounters with people. He's had meetings with religious people uh, who are confused by him. He's had meetings with the the outcast of society, the people that no one wants to talk to, but Jesus has met them. He's healed the sick. Uh, He's got people off the floor, and they're walking again. Um, And so much has happened already. But whilst doing that, John 20, 31 has also been, been going on. And um, to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And there's kind of three main ways which John has been doing that in his gospel. Um, firstly, there's these, uh, these big I am's over here. There they are. The ones that John's gospel's probably most famous for. Jesus made these big claims about him being the bread of life, light of the world, and so on. And all these I am's show us just how good Jesus is. 
that he provides light where there's darkness, that he provides uh, life where there's death, that he's the good shepherd, looks after people. We thought about that last one last week. Uh, but a second way that John's shown us is John's also had some smaller I am's. So in the John's gospel, in all these places in John's gospel, there's moments where Jesus goes, it's me. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. I am. You see these time and time again. And there's seven of them and seven of them. I'm a math teacher. That's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, sorry. Um, but get this as well. There's been other things going on as well at the same time. And that Jesus has been performing miracles. And you'll never guess how many miracles Jesus has been performing. Seven. It's amazing, isn't it? Wow. It's almost like someone actually wrote this and thought about it. And it's an accurate eyewitness account. But there we go. Um, anyway, and these are our seven miracles. And this morning, we come to our final miracle uh, well, not the final miracle, actually, but the final of the seven signs, and also one of these. I wonder if you'd turn to John chapter 11 for me, if you've got it. I'll put it on the screen as well. Um, it is such a significant um, moment. There's the seven I am's, seven I am's, seven miracles. And this morning in John chapter 1 to 44, I think you will go on an enormous journey if you're anything like me. You will have confusion as we read this passage. You will have anger. You will have sadness. You will experience joy and elation. You will experience amazement. You'll experience thankfulness. And that is all in 44 verses of this gospel. So I wonder if we can read together John 1 to 44. It's a huge passage. We'll go as quick as we can. And uh, there's three questions that I'm going to answer today. Well, I'm going to, I think the passage helps us answer. And um, I didn't alliterate them. They're just straight. Here they are. Does Jesus care? Big question. Does Jesus care? And then the two big questions from John's gospel. Who is he? And what has he come to do? Here's the passage. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, 
I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's coming into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn her. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. That's a great image, isn't it? Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can read this passage together. Father, in the short time we have, please help us to fully Well, maybe not fully, but just more appreciate the significance of this encounter, we pray. Amen. Question for you. What were you doing on the 17th of May, 2014? Sorry, I'm sure diaries don't go back that far. Um, I don't know where you were or what you were doing, but I'd planned to be here. You see, I was due to be at Wembley Stadium for, if you know your timeline of what happens around the middle of May, I was meant to be at the FA Cup final The biggest domestic cup match in the UK. I'd never been to a cup final before. And in 2014, someone had very generously offered me tickets to hospitality for the 2014 final. Uh, They'd been involved with some sponsorship for the FA. And in return, they'd received these luxury uh, top-of-the-range seats. I was very excited. Uh, Good food. uh, Abide with me. National anthem. All that. Football. Great. I never ended up going. Sadly, I never made it to that cup final. I ended up somewhere very different, and I had to politely decline the invitation. You see, I ended up on the 17th of May, 2014, up north. I went up the M5, and I went up a bit more than that, up the M6, to where I'd grown up. My mum wasn't well, and when I say not well, I really mean not well. She was dying. Uh, She was suffering from cancer, and her chemotherapy had sadly not had the effect that the doctors had hoped that it would have. Hannah and I 
uh, a very small Jack and an even smaller Lucy had spent the most part of the start of 2014 on that motorway, up and back, uh, seeing mum as she was struggling. Uh, Early on the 16th of May 2014, my dad called and said, "Um, at the end of school tonight, Johnny, I really need you to come. I need you to come uh, up the M5. Uh, This time, Hannah and I, uh, we arranged for Jack and Lucy to spend the weekend with other family and friends, and we headed up the M5, the M6, late, late, late on Friday, 16th of May to Manchester. Early on the 17th of May, at about 8am, Dad received a call from the hospice that Mum had been moved into. And so they just said to us, can you come as quick as you can, please? So we threw on clothes, uh, we jumped in the car, I think we kept the speed limit, and uh, we got to the hospice as quickly as we could. Um, As we jumped out of the car and headed for the entrance, as we got close, the automatic door opened, and a lady from the hospice was stood there. Um, I can't remember what she looks like exactly, but she had a gentle and a warm smile. And I'll tell you what she said, and I'll tell you what happened a little bit later on. I haven't done that in ages, thank you. Just let me off for that a sec. And I need to compose myself, so thank you. Um, In this passage, um, we meet Mary and Martha. They are two of Jesus' best friends. In Luke's Gospel, we know that they had welcomed Jesus into their home, that they'd heard him teach, and we know that Jesus loved them. How do we know that Jesus loved them? Well, the passage said it, didn't it? Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We also, at the end of the passage, see that he loved them. Because the Jews saw him and said, see how he loved them, Uh, loved Lazarus. But Lazarus had got sick, and we're not talking cough, cold sick. We are talking really sick. I don't know about you when you're in trouble, but I ha- most people have like a go-to person. You know, when it goes wrong, I'm going to ring that sort of person. Wisely, Mary and Martha had the best go-to person that a human being could have, and that was Jesus. So what did they do? In verse 3, they sent out a message. They sent a message to him saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, without reading much into, too much into that verse, I think it's fair to say that that verse is saying, Jesus... Our brother, the one that you love, is not very well. Please, can you come and do that thing that you've been doing all over the place? uh, And come now, please. But here's what happens in verse 6, which I think verse 6, I tried to emphasize it as ready. I think on first looking, it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Jesus gets this message. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That, does, does that, that doesn't kind of fit in the box of what Jesus does, does it? In that, it doesn't feel right, that, does it? But that's what it says. And the passage doesn't say this. Jesus loved his friends, but was super busy with other things, so he couldn't come right away. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Jesus didn't actually love them, so he thought he'd make them wait. It doesn't say that either. It says, uh, because he, Jesus, John says basically, because he loved his friends, he didn't come. That, verse, that word so at the start of verse 6, as a result of loving them, Jesus didn't come immediately. In fact, we read, don't we, verse 14, if you've got it in front of you, that Jesus waits until Lazarus has died, and then he comes. Now that is, that seems, that doesn't fit in the box, does it? That doesn't fit nicely. And can I just say straight away, for two reasons, I am not going to delve fully into that question this morning, the enormous question of suffering. The question of what God does and what God doesn't do. The question of why Jesus does some things and why he doesn't do other things uh, and so on. 
Why? Firstly, I don't have a lot of time, that's one. Uh, there's just too much to cover. But secondly, and I think more importantly, there's a lengthier and possibly better setting to explore that coming up next week. If you are someone who is struggling and wrestling with these questions around suffering uh, and where is God when it hurts, then please come along to the lounge next week. It started this week, be on again next week. Phil Lohman's coming along to help us think about why does God allow suffering and why is there such evil in the world? Uh, So I'm not going to do this in full justice. Uh, Forgive me for what I'm about to do, but there are a few things I need to say that are really, really important on this. I will say this. Does Jesus care? Yes, he does. He knows more than us. Jesus knows more than us, and he knows more than all of uh, he knows more than us all of the time. And you get a bit of that in the passage, don't you? Verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said, "The sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it." There is more going on in this passage than meets the eye to us. Verse eleven, we get another idea that, that Jesus is in control. Jesus knows what is going on. Here are two sound bites for you. Jesus is never late. He's not late ever. And Jesus has perfect timing. Perfect timing. Now, you may not be convinced of that right now because of a personal situation that you are facing or have faced. And you may not be convinced of that because of the text that we're reading right now. But there's an important detail you may not have picked up on that I just need to point out about the timeline of these events. See, if Jesus had set off to go and see Lazarus as soon as he gets verse 3, he doesn't make it. I don't know if you spotted that through the passage. He doesn't get there. The the timeline goes like this. Uh, Jesus uh, hears that Lazarus is sick. He waits two days. He then wants to go back south. And then he makes the journey to Bethany, the village where Lazarus had lived. Now that journey in itself takes, they reckon, about three to three and a half days walking. We know that when Jesus arrives in verse 17, and we also hear it in verse, I think, 39, we know that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. If Jesus goes, when he hears in verse 3, he doesn't make it. He does not get there. He's still dead. Jesus' timing is always perfect. Jesus is never late, and there is something very significant about the timing that we'll come to in a minute. Does Jesus care? Absolutely he cares, and we're going to see it in floods as we go forward. Um, We need to move on to the passage. So Jesus does now return after this period of time, and he's confronted by the two sisters. And it's fascinating what they say. And you can check this. Verbatim, word for word, they make exactly the same complaint. See that verse 21 and 32 say exactly the same thing. Martha comes running out the gate. Mary comes a bit later. But Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Later on, Mary says it the same. I don't think she says it in that way. I think she's a moral weeping. But she says exactly the same thing. Exactly the same complaint. What's really fascinating though is Jesus takes the same complaint from sisters about a brother who has died and gives completely different responses. Do you see that? They're just completely different. So when Martha comes storming out, uh, verse 20, she's, I think, uh, she's quite combative in some ways, isn't she? There's this dialogue in 21 to 27. Um, and Jesus kind of goes back at Martha a bit. I, I can't quite picture this, but, but it's, not a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit at each other in some ways. Um, uh, Jesus says to Martha, he's trying to reassure her, verse 23, Martha... Your brother's going to rise again. Martha, I know that, but 
And then verse 25, Jesus sticks it, doesn't he? Sticks it in. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live and will not die. But Mary, when Mary comes to see Jesus, there's none of that. Do you see that in the passage? There's, uh, there's the same complaint word for word. Uh, Jesus asks a question about where Lazarus is. And then nothing except for one of the most remarkable verses in the entire Bible. And the shortest. Jesus wept. Now that is, again, that on the surface, that's quite strange, isn't it? Uh, Jesus knows what's coming next. If that had been me, I'd have gone full magician, I reckon. Oh, don't panic. Here I come. Um, you get this. I'd say to my disciples, get the phones out. We're going to get this on Instagram. Um, you would know what's coming. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus just weeps. And that's incredibly encouraging, I find. Incredibly encouraging. Because it shows us that Jesus cares. That he understands grief and pain. He is weeping at the death of a friend. He's weeping at the upset it's caused Mary and Martha. He is so sad and he is hating the evil of death. What is going on here with these two different replies to the same thing? Here's what I think's going on. It's always going on. It's always, if you're in doubt in John, just go back to John 20, 31. They're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. When he replies to Martha, he's going, I am God. You know you're scared of this death thing? Well, I'm going to crush it. I'm the resurrection and the life. This thing that nobody's got control of, nobody has power over, I have power over it. And then with, with Mary, he's going, I'm a man as well. I'm fully God and I can do things, but I'm fully man. And it's just an amazing moment where it's all starting to come together in John's gospel. And because he's fully God and because he's fully man, he's also what we often remember this title of Jesus at Christmas. He's the wonderful counsellor. Martha needed robust reassurance at this moment and she got it. Mary needed just comfort and tears and she got it. We live in a wonderful 21st century world which has so many brilliant counsellors, support services and so on. But the wonderful counsellor is the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you are facing this morning, here or online, just don't forget that. Absolutely, professional services are the best and they're brilliant and use them. But we have a wonderful counsellor who is fully God, who can solve problems and also understands our problems. Is fully man. That's who Jesus is. What has he come to do? Well, we're getting there now. Um, Verse 33 have a look at it. It's widely accepted that the English translation of verse 33 isn't quite strong enough. So when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. That bit I've underlined there uh, in Greek um, actually means furious indignation. If you took that Greek and used it sort of outside the Bible in other contexts, it's often referred to like, as a ho- have you ever heard a horse snort? Like a Whoa, whoa, that. That's the sort of thing that's going on there. Jesus is absolutely livid at this point. Uh, This is my paraphrase of that verse. When Jesus saw the grief that death caused, he was snorting with rage. That's what that verse is about there. Uh, That's my paraphrase at the start because Jesus isn't mad at Martha for being combative. He's not mad at Mary for crying. 
He's not mad at himself because his timing is perfect. He's not mad at God the Father. He is mad at death. He is absolutely fuming. And why is Jesus so cross about death? Well, it's because he has come to destroy death. And importantly, he hasn't just come to destroy the death of Lazarus. He's come to destroy death once and for all, potentially for everyone. You see, death was never part of God's original plan for the world and human life. If you get time later, just read the first three chapters of the Bible. That will tell you very, very clearly what the plan was. We weren't meant to die. We were meant to last. God's original design, though, was marred. It was distorted. It was broken when we turned our back on God. And as a result, nothing in this world works like it was originally designed to. And if anyone ever tells you that death is, oh, it's natural, it's fine, it's okay, it's just life. It's not. Death's not okay. You know that. As you, like everything within you, I'm sure, knows that. And Jesus came to do something about it. And how could, some, how could Jesus do something about it? What could Jesus possibly do to prove that he was the resurrection and the life? What could he do to ultimately prove that he's the Messiah, the Son of God? Well, he could overcome it, couldn't he? He could defeat death. He could beat the unbeatable in front of everyone. And that's where the four-day thing comes in for. So the four-day thing that we've seen a couple of times, verse 17, verse 39, we're deliberately mentioned that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, historically, custom was for burials in hot countries, you had to do it quickly. Within 24 hours, there wasn't any embalming process unless you were absolutely loaded with money. And so it was thought that it would take about three days for a body to start decomposing. So when Jesus comes to the tomb, he asks for the stone to be removed. And Martha goes, whoa, 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 it's going to smell bad. You need to know that, Jesus. Um, Brilliant version. If you've got the King James Version of the Bible, this verse is amazing, verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Yeah, you've seen it. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. That is an incredible verse. And the word stinketh gets used in our house a lot now. Uh, The four-day thing, though, is important, believe it or not. That was the length of time required for people to be absolutely certain that someone was dead. Now, that seems crazy to us, but back in the first century, there was a number of Jewish theories around death. Uh, One first-century document says this. When a person apparently dies, the soul hovers over the body of the deceased person for the first three days, intending to re-enter it. But as soon as it sees that the person has changed, decomposition has started, then it departs. After four days, no one, no one thinks that Lazarus is alive. After two days, they think, well, he might might come back to life. After three days, after one day. But after four days, no. If Jesus had legged it in verse 3 and gone to be with Lazarus, He'd have been there maybe after death day two or something like that. If he'd have raised Lazarus then, then nah, nah, no, he wasn't really dead. Everyone knows that he is, as de- he is dead, full stop dead. No one can dispute this. Verse 41, what happens? The stone is rolled away and after, after four days. And Jesus knows that he's been heard by his father. I just wonder how he knows that at that point. My guess is that it didn't smell. But anyway, um, The stone gets rolled away, and then three words that change everything. Boom. Lazarus, come out. And he does. It's a great comedy image, isn't it? 
he comes out, what does he come out with? Hands and feet tied and a cloth on his face. But he comes out. It's incredible. Have you ever thought why he had to say Lazarus come out? Someone commentator said that he had to say Lazarus, otherwise the whole place would have come out, that tomb. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the only one who can defeat death. He is powerful, he is mighty, he is compassionate. He hates death and he has the power over it. But as we close, you've got to know that those three words, while they had life-giving consequences for Lazarus, they were absolutely deadly for Jesus. And this is the hinge moment where we absolutely turn and head towards Jesus' death. In the early part of John's gospel, we'd seen that when he healed the man on the Sabbath who was paralyzed, that they started to persecute Jesus. When he heals, when he gets Lazarus out of the grave, it goes up a notch and we'll read this next week. So from that day on, the day he raised Lazarus, they plotted to take his life. As an aside, how crazy is that? You see someone conquer death, I'll kill him. No, spoiler, that's not going to end well for you, is it? Let's be honest. The raising of Lazarus isn't just simply an amazing miracle. It's Jesus, in effect, signing his own death warrant. Jesus knew that the only way that he could get Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself into the grave. And Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus knew what he was doing when he stayed for two days. Jesus knew what he was doing when he responded in different ways to the same sisters, Mary and Martha. He knew what was coming next. He knew that he could stop Lazarus' funeral. But to do that, he had to cause his own. And Jesus wasn't just doing this miracle um, in John 11 for Mary or Martha. This passage happens for you and it happens for me. So everything we've been talking about in this passage happened for me and it happened for you. Does Jesus care? Absolutely he cares. He's furious about death. He has perfect timing. He's never late. He's fully God and fully man, and he's come to smash death. I do need to finish my story. I'll do my very best to finish my story. I might struggle. Um, Can I go back to the door? Um, And uh, the doors to the hospice opened. And uh, we were greeted by a really lovely smile, and we were ushered into a side room. We were too late. Um, The staff came along. And we were like, uh, mum had passed away 10, 15 minutes earlier, and uh, we hadn't made it. But Christine Baker loved Jesus. And as a result, one day, come on, uh, Christine Baker will hear the words come out, and she will come out. She will come out of the grave, and she'll have life. And she does that. Because of Jesus. And just as we try and bring this together, um, I've just got an obvious question for you. Is that death is just wrong. I'm sad. I've got myself back, I think, now. I'm sad. But I'm joyous. Simultaneously because of Jesus. And the reason I am is because Christine Baker writes her name there. And I have to ask you this question. Is your name there? Do you know that Jesus changes the thing that no human can change? He changes death. He means it's not a full stop. It's a comma if you trust in him. And 
you've got to know that, well, you do know that death's horrific, but Jesus says it's not the end. He's bust the grave. And if you do follow Jesus this morning, um, you're Lazarus. You're Lazarus. Jesus loves you like he loved him in verse 3. And Jesus will one day bust you out of the grave like he bust Lazarus out of the grave. We're at the end of John chapter 11. So much has happened. But Jesus has just changed everything now. Because he said that death no longer needs to be end. And love has won. And my prayer for all of us is that that love that Jesus has motivates us to live for him. And just gives us that great assurance that though death comes and it's sad. We don't need to be afraid. We might be afraid of dying, but we don't need to be frightened of death. Because Jesus changes everything. The band are going to come. I'm going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you care. Father, there's probably moments in life, we pray at like a micro moment where we think you don't care, but you do care. Thank you that your timing is perfect. Thank you that you're never late. Thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to smash the permanence of death into pieces. Father, we have hope. And we have hope because of your son who came and died and he rose again. Father, please help us to share the story and live the life so that more people can hear this unbelievable, incredible news. Amen.